52 episodes, 52 ordinary people, 52 real stories about things that affect overall health. Because there is a lot more that goes into being healthy than food and fitness. Inspiration, support, a new perspective, and knowledge. You'll find that and more here on the HealthAbility Project. Welcome to the HealthAbility Project. I'm Robin McKenna. Imagine living in an environment where the sounds of bombs and missiles flying overhead is a regular occurrence of having to shelter in basements or having to leave family behind in the conflict zone while you are ferried off to a safer place. Thankfully, most of us will never live this experience. But did you know that it is estimated that 426 million children live in conflict zones today? How do you think this type of environment, these experiences, impact their health and well-being, their psychological and emotional health in the short term and in the long term? Our guest today is Lex Vuko. Lex has been in the fitness and health industry for over 20 years. Her life story helped her prepare to serve her clients better because she understands stress, she understands uncertainty, and she understands feeling lost. Lex was born in Belgrade and was 17 when the NATO bombings of the former Yugoslavia began in March of 1999. Living through this experience affected her overall health and well-being. She's here today to share her story of weathering the storm and how it shaped who she is today, a mother, a wife, a coach, a trainer, and a friend. Welcome to the HealthAbility Project, Lex. I'm so glad to have you today. Glad to be here to share my story. Thank you for giving me the space to do so. Thanks. Thanks. You're very welcome. So take us through that that time in your life. Uh, you're a teenager. You're, you know, living like a teenager and the bombings begin. Yeah. So I was living like a teenager until I was 16 and a half until um, September of 1998. And that's actually when my life started to change. So I was living as a teenager until then, but I'm not going to get into too much detail of the story, but I got hit by a car and both my legs were injured and I was in the hospital for a month. And then I had to be home for a month for the healing to happen. And then I had to go to a different city to rehab my legs. And the day I got out of that city and got home is the same day that the first sirens started, that the official bombing started. And that was, that was, I, I still remember, you know, they say the more emotion you have around an event, the better you remember it. And it's one of those because I got out around 1 PM. I was in my city at home and around probably five, 6 PM. I went with my friends for a coffee to a coffee shop, whatever trying to get back to my normal teenage right. life. And I remember because was, everybody was talking about potential bombing, right? So we were like, oh my God, like everybody's talking about this. This is so crazy. This is not going to happen. Like this is just whatever. And we're like, okay, we're done with coffee. Let's go home. I get home. I get to my room. Again, I remember every single detail. I remember the stereo that I put the song on. It was Natalie Imbruglia. I mean, I remember wow. every single detail, right? Like that's how shocking it was because nothing prepared me for that sound. 
Um, some people know the sounds of the sirens for for the tornadoes, and, and and but this was different. It was louder, and again, like you said, I was a teenager, so what the heck do I know? But it was the sound of the sirens that is meant for you to be stressed right away. It's meant for you to alert you to alert your central nervous system of a danger. Mm-hmm. So of course, not only that there's danger, but you don't know what it means. And so I remember the moment, like I said, that the song was playing and I was like, what is this? And it's that scary sound of the sirens that means the danger is coming. And so we just didn't, at that moment, you don't know. You don't know if a a plane is about to come and bomb on your head or if this is um, maybe a drill or are we supposed to go down to the basement? And so it was just really crazy moment that I remember we ended up going to the basement and to explain to people listening a basement in Eastern Europe in a building um, is not the same as a basement that you'd expect in a home. So it's like we had like one light. It was all dusty. It was like mice and rats running around. Like we, nobody expected to spend time there, you know, but we actually did. And so because it was a few of us from the building, there were people my age, my friends, and we, we as kids, when we were in the basement, we made the best of it. Um, during the day was a different story. So from that point on, it was just kind of crazy as to when these sounds come on, when the sound of dangers over. When you were in the basement, were both your parents with you? Was it just your mom with you? Were your siblings with you? Yeah, both my parents were with me. Uh, My friends and their parents were with me. Most of the families from our building had chosen to come to the basement. Uh, but it was a personal choice, right? Like there was a family that lived actually on the top floor that had a newborn baby. And they decided they're not going to go to the basement. So it's like one of those things that you're like, you can't judge a person for their choices because should a newborn baby be in that environment breathing that there? I don't know. But should it be up there? Like it's just, it's a personal choice. And my mom was just losing her mind because she just had her kid going through a car wreck, right? She was already a nervous like right on the edge of a nervous breakdown. So she was like, we're going to the basement where, you know, so we did that. We did the whole going up and down the that stairs. Be stressful for you watching your mother be so stressed out. That's actually the next part of the story is after a few weeks, after about a month of bombing, she and I went to Venezuela. And the, this is the messed up part is when, when, when your whole community or even just your family, but when your whole community is going through something life or death, literally life or death situation, you don't necessarily want to leave, right? I think that goes under the survival or survivor's guilt or something like that, but you don't want to leave. You want to be there with them. Right. Now, my dad also couldn't leave the country because men from 18 to 65 couldn't leave the country at that time. He was below 65. And my mom was, I I just, I, I thought that she was, a, she was about to have a nervous breakdown. So they asked me, like to make that decision, do, do we want to leave? And I looked at her and I was like, we have to, because right before that, we had one moment when we were in the basement, the sounds of the sirens were on, like there's danger. We were in the basement, we were in the basement pretty much the whole night. The sirens went on, like the danger's gone. It's like the flat one. We came upstairs and it was probably five o'clock in the morning. And we, my mom said, all right, we've got to go to sleep. And she said, you're sleeping with me. And at the time, you know, I'm like, come on, I want to go to my own room. But now being a mom, I'm like, um, hell no, like you're staying with me. And so we laid down. And again, one of those moments you remember forever. And I'm about to get emotional. We laid in bed. She laid closer to the window. I laid closer to the wall. 
And we're about to go to sleep. We're still talking, whatever, probably arguing as teenagers do. <laughs> and the sound of a rocket comes. And because we had the, the curtains on, whether we had them or not, I don't even know if we would see it, but it sounded like it's just about to go through your window. I cannot explain that sound. And so in that moment, God, I, I told this story before and, and, and it just, I keep getting emotional about it. But in that moment, she jumped over me, grabbed me and, and threw herself onto me on the floor. And I, I forgot this story for so long and I told it recently and I was getting so emotional. And then I thought about it. Why am I getting so emotional about it now? And it was because I'm a mom now. Like it was, yeah. I, I felt to tell you the truth, this is so weird, but I felt so loved thinking of that memory, like mm. so loved because she, she had that unconditional love that, you know, and so in that moment, after that moment, I thought she was really about to have a nervous breakdown and through going through everything. I'm like, we can't deal with me limping still with a crutch going up and down the stairs and now watching her having a nervous breakdown. And so even though I really didn't want to leave, I decided to leave because I didn't want to take that risk. And I remember waiting for the, so of course, during the bombing, there's no flights. So we had to go from Belgrade to Budapest, Hungary to catch a flight to go to Venezuela. And the reason we, it was Venezuela is because my brother's friend's friend had a home to help us stay in. And it's like halfway across the world, but it's like, you know, everybody for themselves. So we had to go on a bus and we waited for the, we were in front of the bus saying bye to everybody. And my friends came and my dad was there. And that was so hard because he couldn't leave. My dad is not an emotional type. And he was just standing there and I was crying through that window. And he just looked at me and kind of put that, you know, finger on the mouth, like just kind of just don't worry about it. It's all going to be okay. And it's a surreal feeling. It's once again, one of those moments I remember the time of the day, the, the, the light, the temperature. I remember because I remember thinking, I don't know what we're going to come back to. I don't know if we're coming back. I don't know when we're coming back. I don't know what we're coming back to. I don't know if this man is going to be standing when we're coming. Like it was just such a bizarre feeling of uncertainty. This also, those are also really big adult questions for, for a 17 year old to be saddled with. Um, you know, it seemed like you were beginning yeah. to develop the view that you had to take care of your mom because you were worried for her. You're now worried for your dad because you have to leave him and you do not know what the what the fate will be. Yeah. And you're not you're going very, very far away. It's not like you're going next door to the next country. Right. Right. You know, you don't think of that when you're going through that. And I think that's the problem that we need to talk about when it comes to trauma. Right. You don't think about what you're going through while you're going through it because you're in survival mode. When your brain is in survival mode, you react. It's all instinctive. You just got to survive. You don't sit and you're like, let me analyze what's happening with my body here. Let me analyze these. No, you're surviving. And the problem with trauma is, I believe it comes from a word wound in Latin. The problem with trauma is, is not when it's happening to you. It's how you deal with it after it happens to you. But the problem is we don't think of these things as traumatic. Like I, I honestly, well, I don't even think I knew the word trauma maybe at that time. I knew it like physically, but like 
I never thought about what I was going through is ever going to leave these marks on who I was. It's just, it was not until, because everybody around me was going through the same thing. So it was nothing weird was happening. It was not until I came to States. Yeah, it was normal. It was not until I moved to States and I would start telling people the story about, oh, you know, this happened, that happened. And like people's jaws would drop in front of me. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess it's kind of a unique story. Like it's only then that it started even making sense to me. Like, wait a minute, not everybody has gone through this. And only after doing a lot of healing work and a lot of work within me is moments that I can describe and be like, oh, that was traumatic, right? And and something like you say, you say, wait, that's adult questions. Like that was, that was serious adulthood right there. And for a long time, I was emotionally stuck at 17. And psychiatrists and psychologists will tell you, is when you have major trauma happen in your life, you can emotionally get stuck at that age. Yes. And I was. I was stuck at 17 for a very long time, not knowing it, of course, looking back, you know, in hindsight, everything's 2020. But I can see that now how I didn't further develop emotionally for a long time. What was the turning point for when you, I don't know, if the, the light went off and you realized that you were maybe stuck? at an emotional level of a, of a teenager as an adult? So I don't think it was a moment. It was a series of events, right? I remember being stuck in anger for a really long time. Now, after the bombing, I actually ended up going back home and then moving to States right away. So I did end up in States and it was the first time that I could unpack in a really long time. Mm-hmm. But I, I never knew that my body was still in survival mode. And then there were other things that happened. Like I wanted to go back home after a while. And my family said, you know, it's just better for you to stay in States, which at that time was another trauma for me. But now looking back, it was the best thing that happened for me. Mm-hmm. But at that time, it was an add-on to the traumatic effect we just talked about. So I had the first, the car wreck, and then I had the bombing. Then I had watching my mom and my dad, all of that. And then moving to states and then feeling like I wasn't making my own decision about my future. Mm-hmm. So it was an add-on to all the little traumas and bigger traumas and those moments like the, the the rocket and bomb or whatever it was. All of that added up to my anger. So I was angry for a long time. And we need to talk about these things more from the mental health perspective is because I was playing the tough girl card. I was the tough girl. I was the one I went to boxing and kickboxing and I went to the gym and put the muscle on and, and I was like, that's just who I am. You know, don't mess with Lex. That's who I am. That's all from the survival. So I just remember that, you know, I would listen to angry rap. I mean, I was just Everything was about anger. Everything was about being tough. Everything was, but what, what being tough was is survival. Like, don't mess with me because I'm in survival mode, really, was what that meant. And I just remember starting to go spiraling into some form of sadness, depression, whatever you want to call it. And, you know, not to downplay any kind of depression, but I do remember thinking, I don't have time to get depressed because I have to pay my bills. And honestly, it was keeping myself busy that kept me out of 
overthinking things because I had to have two jobs. I had to have two full-time job, two full-time jobs in summers, and then a full-time job and school, full-time school. So I was so busy that I would never allow myself to sit still. And it was years later, probably good decade later, that I started thinking there's got to be more to life than this. And it wasn't related to my anger. It was just what's going on in my life. Why do I feel so blah? Why do I feel like there's more to life than this? And when I started exploring all these things and getting into the mindset, that's how I got into fitness and starting feeling better, but it wasn't getting to the core of it, right? Like I, I started paying attention to nutrition. It made me feel better, but I wasn't getting to the core of it. When I stopped and started working on meditation, on me within, on my emotions, on my feelings, on how I feel every day, on my thoughts, that's when I started looking back and being like, whoa, that was anger covering sadness, covering a wound, aka trauma or traumatic events that I never really worked through. Right. That's how the healing started. Right. You know, maybe in hindsight, you decided to not hide through denial focused on all these things and you were angry and you did the, you know, intense gym work and you were the tough girl and just maybe finally got tired of the denial? It was probably that, you know, I, I, I call it the, the floundering soul effect, you know, with my clients. It's like the soul is, your soul is like stuck in this bag and tied with a rope on top and it's just trying so hard to get out, Right. That's that unsettling feeling, whether we call it depression or anger. Sometimes anger is typically a secondary emotion, hiding vulnerability. Mm -hmm. So you don't want to be sad because you're vulnerable. So you choose to show anger. Right. So when whenever we feel these emotions, it's I feel like my understanding is like it's your soul telling you that's because there is more to life than this. That's because you do can do better. That's because you got to work through your stuff. And we think, well, I'm just not going to think about that. I'm just going to go through it. Yeah. What happens is, for one, your body is still stuck in survival. So it's actually reliving that whole thing. Whether we, whether it's the same event that we're thinking of or the alike thoughts, when, when whatever we're thinking about, our brain gets stuck on. So you get quite literally addicted to your thoughts, whether it's happiness or sadness or depression, whatever it is. And so it takes work to get out of that. It takes willingness to get out of that. But if for as long as you're willing to make yourself try, that's your soul telling you, hey, we're still here. There's still something to be here for. And that's what we have to listen to. That's the, that's that feeling we have to pay attention to and say, okay, now the journey of exploration is starting. Now the journey of healing is starting. It's just the beginning of it because we deny these emotions. We suppress them, mm -hmm. yet they are fully controlling our life. Mm -hmm. So only when we sit with these emotions, only when we're willing to change those emotions, only when we're willing to have the inner war is when the healing actually starts. Healing is not necessarily pretty, but it's so well worth it. Right. How do you think these experiences have have changed your perspective as a mom? I mean, your son is how old now? Almost four, just about to turn four. Yeah. So I have always strived not to be like my parents. Um, <laughs> yes, it was just so funny. Right? Well, it's because it never <laughs> so made funny. sense to me what they were telling me. They were like, well, go to school and then go to college and get a job. And I'm like, that's just not me. Like I'm the 
free soul at heart, I have to have my freedom, right? And so whatever they did, I was like, oh, I'm going to do the opposite. And so it shaped, that definitely shaped who I am. But then as a parent, it's a whole nother level of that because I actually went back to Serbia after 20 years in States. I went back to Serbia, I got married and I had my son and I started noticing the same patterns, the same conversations about a different location. So not to get into politics, but there's this Kosovo area now and it used to be part of Serbia. Now it's independent and this is whole ordeal now. And the moment, the moment someone said, where they're talking about a possible war in Kosovo, I was like, we're getting the heck out of here because I'm not living how my parents did. I'm not choosing to have my husband possibly not able to leave the country. I'm not living in a country where my son can grow up and in 20 years, there once again can be the same issue. Because one of the things looking back is, you know, I don't blame my parents. They did the best they could for what they knew, who they were, right? That's understanding and that's forgiveness and that's acceptance. But look, looking into their choices, I would have never chosen to stay with a family in a country like that, in a situation like that. I would have rather been living in a cardboard box in a different place where I can start rebuilding my life for my family than choosing to stay in that kind of country, in that surrounding. That's my choice. Again, I'm not blaming them for it. That was their choice at the time, which they were free to choose. But for me, it makes no sense to do that. So if I'm the kind of person like, oh, this is not working out, let's go change it. Oh, this is not working out, let me go change it, right? And so for me as a mom, for one, I'm, I'm definitely more aware of the surroundings of where we choose to live on all those things. But also I keep always in my mind, my son's freedom and happiness. And he's, how can I make sure that he's always free to choose the life that he wants. And not to put him in a position where he might have to experience what you went through. Oh, never. No, 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 no. Absolutely. Exactly. Absolutely not. So there's definitely that in the back of my mind subconsciously, because I'm telling you, like the moment that I heard that when I was in Serbia, it totally, it, it not just triggered me. It was like, there's absolutely zero reason why I'm staying here. I'm, I'm, I'm totally ready to leave everything behind, take my family and go. And that's what we did. Yeah. I like what you said earlier about healing is not pretty and, uh, and it's not, but it's also, you, you make a good point. It's a process and it's not really something that ever really ends. Right. Because no. you, you know, you go through these, these stages that bring you to a point where you want to heal and then you go through this process and you just continue to heal and to continue to be better, a better human being or a happier human being, sharing your, um, your joy of being healthier with others, yeah. which I know that you are doing. Yeah. Uh, so that's really, really interesting. And I think that's well, the thing people need to understand that it really is, there's no end point to that. It's not a destination. No, and everything's a journey, right? You want to start working out. You want to get your body in shape. You want to drop weight. It's a journey. It's not like you do a workout, do look at yourself in the mirror and be like, oh, done, ta-da. Right. It's like ongoing process. And just like with healing, you do get to a point of changing your goals to something different, right? So like with healing, you go through this at first hard and nasty, and but it gets easier over time, right? And you start cleaning up all the wounds, healing the wounds, all of that. 
but it comes at a point where you're so proud of who you have become, but you you're so excited of who you're becoming. Mm-hmm. So it turns from healing and there's always healing, right? But it turns from healing to majorly growth, right? Like I want to see who I can become. I want to see who I can experience myself to be, who I can make myself and shape myself to be. It's the same with workouts, right? Like you start with, I want to get in shape. I want to put muscle on. I want to drop weight, whatever the goal is. You start with that. The point comes when you're like, I either want to maintain this now and keep growing. I want to see how my body can change. And it starts going into this, who can I become? And, you know, another analogy I give with a healing is thinking of a physical wound, right? We have to clean the wound thoroughly in order to let it heal. And we have to provide the environment for the wound so that it can heal. The cleaning part is painful and ugly, but it's absolutely necessary for the full healing of the wound so that we can move on. That's an incredible comparison. And, and it's so make, it makes sense, right? Like absolutely. when you, when we, let's say I'm running and I fell and my knee is scraped, right? Like I have to clean it. The cleaning part. I remember when I was in the hospital. Oh my God, Robin. I remember when I was in the hospital, when I got hit by a car and the lady had to clean my wound. It was, I promise you, it was worse than getting hit by a car. I remember her screeching little cart coming at nine o'clock in the morning and my brain was, my body was already in shock. And I would be screaming throughout the whole cleaning. I was like, she's the meanest person ever. And she had to clean my wound. And it was absolutely 100% necessary so that my wound can then have the proper dressing on and have the proper environment so that now I can have my foot and run and heal and train people. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's absolutely necessary. But that's people have never been taught how to sit with what we think of negative emotions. So we run away from them, right? I'm not feeling, I'm feeling antsy. I'm feeling angry. I'm feeling whatever. Let me, let me go on TikTok. Let me go on this. Let me do this. Let me, let me keep myself busy. Allowing yourself space to sit with those emotions is crucial because I have to know how to sit with anger. I have to know how to behave and not escape. And we see so much escape these days because it's been so easy. We have alcohol, we have social media, there's drugs around, right? There's a lot of things that people can go for to avoid sitting with certain emotions. I think the crucial thing is allowing ourselves to sit with any emotion and question it. Yeah. What are you trying, anger? What are you trying to show me? What, what is there unresolved in my little heart? Right. What is that, that the anger that I'm holding? Because I know that love is what I want to feel and experience. So what is my anger showing me? Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's like an exercise. I use this term, self tough love. Uh, you, know, there, you know, there are points in your life where you have to be tough on yourself. And this is a perfect yeah. example of, you know, let's deal with this because not dealing with it is not going to make anything any better. No. And dealing with it will. Well, again, back to the wound example, it's yeah. like I can have other people assist, but bottom line is I have to endure that cleaning of the wound. And sometimes I may need to clean it myself. Right. And I have to do that in a proper space, in a proper mental state right? In a proper environment. And, and another thing I want to say is just like you said, and I want to stress on that is it's a journey. So many of us are conditioned for instant gratification. Yep. It's like, oh, well, 
I'm just going to do one 10 minute meditation and I, I, I need to, you know, I, oh, I can't, I can't because I can't control my thoughts. And it's like, wait a minute, we have 60 to 70,000 thoughts every day and 95% of those thoughts are subconscious and they're the same thoughts that we had yesterday. You're going to start by changing one thought today. One, that's it. You, you conquered yourself by changing one thought today. It may be two thoughts tomorrow and you may go backwards the third day. But just like a stock market, where am I going overall? So for as long as I keep coming back and trying, I'm on the right track. I'm going to fail and it's guaranteed and that's okay. Do I ever get back to my anger? Yeah, I have moments. I'm at the point where for me, anger is moments and I'm able to recognize it, stop it, take breathing exercises and, and switch it. But it took years of work to get to that point. So there's a reaction versus responding. The reaction part is what shortens over time. So when I feel anger, I'm able to recognize it, let it go, analyze it, and, and bring myself back to where I want to be. You know, and that's that's hard because you're working against something that's in your central nervous system, right? It's the five percent of your conscious actually working over the ninety-five percent of subconscious that's been running the show. But it's so worth it. Well, thank you so much for your time. I, I have to say, I've interviewed amazing people and they've shared amazing stories, but I think this episode is my favorite so far. Oh, thank you so thank much. You, thank I you. I enjoyed it sharing it. Extraordinary. Um, everything we talked about, it was certainly exceeded my expectations, but thank, thank you. you so much, Lex. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. So listeners, hopefully you liked today's episode. If so, please like us, share us, tell your friends about us and tune in next week. Um, and if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, you can reach me at thehealthabilityproject at gmail.com. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us today at The Health Ability Project. We'd love to hear from you, so please email us your questions, comments, or suggestions, including future guests, to thehealthabilityproject at gmail.com. And please like us, subscribe, and share us with your friends.